0: Hey, good morning, Plum Creek. Good to have you here today. If you happen to be visiting with us, we're especially glad that you joined us this morning. Well, I'm excited about this sermon, so I'm going to jump right in. And I want to start with a statement that I think we can all agree on. I know people have different ideas, different opinions about all kinds of things, but I really believe we'll find some common ground here. So are you ready? Here's the statement generosity is better than selfishness. Are you with me on that? I hope so. You'd you'd have to be somebody like Ebenezer Scrooge or a bank robber to disagree with that statement. It's just kind of common knowledge. Generosity is a good and noble thing. And you know, Jesus agrees with that statement as well. In Acts chapter 20, we see that Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, when I was a kid and I heard something like that, I was a little skeptical. Like, uh, no, I think I like my birthday more than everybody else's birthday. But I've learned since then that Jesus is right on the money here. And I know many of you would say the same thing. But there's something strange about this. If we really believe that generosity is better than selfishness, and we really believe that giving is better than getting... Why do we struggle to live a completely generous life? Why why are we still pulled to, to put our focus on ourselves? Why do we struggle to be content? Why is more never enough? These are the kind of questions we want to wrestle with today. Right now, we're in the middle of a series called Kingdom Habits, and this series is about developing the kinds of habits and disciplines that ignite spiritual growth in our lives. Today, we're looking at the habit of generosity. And let me just say, right from the beginning, I'm preaching to myself here. I need to be less of a hoarder and more of a giver. I'll give you an example. Uh, Many of you know that today is a special day here at Plum Creek. It's Plum Creek Pen Amnesty Sunday, and if you missed this announcement last week, here's what it's about. Some of us have noticed that without even trying, it's easy to accumulate a large collection of Plum Creek pens. Now, it's a great thing if they go out into the community, not so great if they're just in the drawer in your basement. Now, we're doing this for two reasons. One, it's just kind of a fun thing to do. Our mission was to bring back any extra pens here, and somebody had the idea to print up these stickers, I returned my pens. It's just kind of fun. But number two, Pen Amnesty Sunday is an illustration of the fact that we want to be good stewards of the resources that God has given us, as efficient as possible Now, I need to come clean this morning. Last Sunday, after church, we went home and we were having lunch, and one of the kids went over to the kitchen counter where we have one of those pen holder cups, and there were 19 Plum Creek pens in just that one cup. Like I said, I need to be less of a hoarder and more of a giver. But let's be honest, um, Plum Creek Pen Amnesty Sunday, that's not an example of true generosity, is it? We're not going to miss these extra pens. True generosity requires sacrifice. That's what tomorrow is about. On Memorial Day, we recognize a group of people who gave their lives for the sake of our country. That's generosity taken to the extreme. And Jesus talked about this in John 15, 13, where he said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And of course, Jesus didn't just talk about this. He went ahead and did it, right? He laid down his life. He went to the cross, and he gave us the perfect example of sacrificial generosity. And no, not every follower of Jesus is called to literally lay down your life, but make no mistake, every follower of Jesus is called by God to be sacrificially generous, so we're going to look at some practical steps this morning that will help us develop this kingdom habit of generosity. And I want to be up front with you with this sermon. We're going to focus on being generous with our finances. And I know this can be a sensitive subject, so I want to mention three things very quickly. Number one, as a preacher, I'm not particularly drawn to this topic. I, I don't gravitate to preaching about money. Uh, now, what I love is preaching about Jesus, preaching about the love of God and the grace of God. But money, not so much. Number two, it doesn't really bother me to talk about money. I know it makes some people uncomfortable, and I know that the church has gotten a bad reputation because of certain individuals who have been irresponsible or selfish or even criminal in the way that they've handled money. But I'm not scared to talk about it, and here's why. This is number three. If I don't talk about money, I shouldn't be preaching. I'm not doing my job. When something is important to God, it should be important to us. And it's really interesting. When you read the entire Bible, you'll find more than 800 passages that deal with money and how we should handle it. So, we got to we got to talk about this. And in a way, it can actually be fun. It can be super helpful. So we're going to do that this morning. And and before anything else, I want to go back and remember what we talked about last week because these two sermons are closely related. Last week's kingdom habit was stewardship. And we looked at several important truths about stewardship. Number one, God owns everything. Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So that includes all my money, all my stuff, and even me. We belong to God. Number two, it kind of goes along with that first one. It just makes sense. If God owns everything, all I have is a gift on loan from God, it's not really mine. And we don't want to limit that to just material things, that also applies to my time and my talents, and the relationships I have with other people. These are all gifts that God has entrusted to me. We are all managers and stewards of these gifts. And God cares about the way we manage this responsibility. Truth number three, God calls me to be a good steward. So according to God, what does that look like? What is a good steward? Well, this is The last truth we'll mention, if if I want to be a good steward, I need to make God my priority. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. So when it comes to our time and our talent and our treasure, we look to God first and say, God, what do you want me to do with this? How would you have me manage these gifts? So these truths, they give us a good foundation, but today we're going to get more specific, specifically in the area of our finances. And last week I mentioned three steps that will help us become better stewards. Step one is to start with biblical principles. We need to do things God's way. Step two is to make an intentional plan. And step three is to live according to that plan with God's help. So let's apply these steps to our finances. And first, we need to start with biblical principles, and I don't want to read 800 passages in the Bible about money, so let's focus on just one passage from 1 Timothy. Now, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a young minister named Timothy, and in 1 Timothy 6, 17, Paul says, "...command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain." who is Paul talking about here? In verse 17, Paul refers to people who are rich in this present world. Now, who would that be? Who should we consider rich in this present world? Obviously, um, Elon Musk would be one example. He's the richest person in our country right now. But where's the cutoff? Where's that line where you'd be considered a rich person? Well, years and years ago, I heard a preacher named Andy Stanley uh, talk about what it means to be rich. And I want to share what he said uh, with some updated statistics. First, here's one example of what it looks like to be rich. Rich people have a box at home, it's a storage box, usually a little taller. It's called a refrigerator. And in this box, they store all kinds of food, it's usually full. And sometimes, They have to take old food out of the box to make room for new food because they didn't have time to eat the old food. And sometimes rich people will leave the food at home in the storage box and go somewhere and buy more food in a place called a restaurant and they pay extra for that food. Meanwhile, around the world, around 800 million people go to bed hungry most every night. Those people would be amazed at our behavior. Then uh, sometimes rich people look at a closet that's full of clothes, and sometimes they'll say this, you know what it is? I don't have anything to wear. Rich people can also afford a home, not just for their family, not just for their pets. They can also afford a home for their car. It's called a garage. That's what a garage is. It's a little home for your car or your truck. Meanwhile, 1.6 billion people in the world don't have adequate housing. And then what kind of salary does a rich person make? Well, here's how it breaks down. At the end of 2022, the average median income of an American worker was $54,132 a year. Now, if you are a single adult making $54,000 a year you are in the richest 1.3% of the global population. 98%, 98 98.7% of the world makes less than you do. If you're a family of four living on that, $54,000, you still make more than 90% of the people in the world. Meanwhile, over 700 million people, which is 9% of the world's population, they live on less than $2.15 a day, which works out to be about $785 per year. And those 700 million people would look at us and say, yeah, they're rich. Now, I don't say any of this to minimize our financial challenges because I know, especially in the last couple of years, some of us are having a harder time making ends meet. I just want us to have a, a little perspective here. Because almost everyone who has ever lived on this planet would look at us and say, those folks are rich. I also don't say this to make any of us feel guilty because you know what? We didn't ask to be born in one of the richest countries in the history of the world. Where did that come from? That's a blessing from God. If you were born in the United States, he chose that you would be born here. But we have to be honest as we answer this question who is rich in this present world? It's nearly all of us. Almost everybody listening right now fits this description, rich in this present world. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we just saw that we're blessed for a reason. Now, on on one hand, it did say that God richly blesses us for our enjoyment, and that's pretty cool. But we weren't given these material blessings to find significance or satisfaction or security in this world. No, God blessed us so that we could be a blessing. God calls us to be generous, sacrificially generous. He wants us to leverage these gifts to build his kingdom and bring him glory. We need to draw a line in the sand this morning. Because we know the pull of this world is very, very strong. Instead of owning our possessions, our possessions can start to own us, right? So we need to draw this line in the sand and say, God, it's yours. It's all yours. What do you want me to do with it? When and where do you want me to let go and be generous? And you know what? He will actually answer that prayer. He'll, He'll tell us what to do. He's actually told us what to do already. Remember, He speaks to us through His Word. So we need to start with the biblical principles that He's given us and then work out an intentional plan and then, with God's help, live according to that plan. So let's do this. Let's take a few minutes to work out a generosity plan. And we'll start with a verse from the passage we read a minute ago, 1 Timothy 6.18. This is where Paul tells Timothy... Command them, those rich people, people like us, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So do good and be generous. A long time ago, I heard someone say there are two ways to be generous. Uh, One way is spontaneous giving. That's where you hear about a need or you see a need, and you just give right then. And that's a great thing. Uh, that happens here at Plum Creek on a regular basis. We'll, we'll share about some ministry or some person that has a need, and many of you just step up and give. We've seen that again and again, most recently with our special offering to support the work of the New Hope Center. And we really appreciate that spontaneous giving. But there's another way to be generous, and that's strategic giving, giving. And this is different. This is where you manage your finances in a way that allows you to give consistently. You live on a budget, and in that budget, you have money set aside to give regularly. And you can also set aside some money so you can give spontaneously when the need arises. So obviously, if you want to reach your generosity potential, strategic giving is the way to go. Listen to how Paul coaches a group of Christians in 1 Corinthians 16, verse verse 2. He says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. You hear the planning in that? You hear the intentionality? That's strategic giving. We need to have a plan. And if you don't already have a plan in place, I encourage you to work on one this week. Uh, Take a few minutes. uh, Sit down with your spouse if you're married and work through three questions. Here's question number one. How is God calling me to be more generous right now? And I want to encourage you here. uh, Don't answer this question based on feelings. We really want to hear from God, which means... We need to answer this question based on Scripture, and some of the passages in this week's Scripture reading plan may be helpful here. For now, though, I want to mention three Ps. These three Ps all have a biblical basis, and and here they are, priority, percentage, and progression. So let's look at that first one, priority. This goes along with one of our truths about stewardship. We need to make God our top priority. So, from a financial perspective, what does that look like? Well, in the Old Testament, we see an interesting pattern. Back then, the people of Israel lived under the old law system. And the law required you to give something called a first fruits offering. And with a first fruits offering, you give to God first, before you give anywhere else, before you pay your other bills. Now, I want to be clear, there's no New Testament command that says Christians have to give a first fruits offering. We're not under the law system anymore. We're under grace. And this is a great thing. Uh, under grace, we are forgiven and free, and we don't have to obey God uh, motivated by guilt or motivated by fear. When, when you're under grace, you obey God out of love and out of gratitude. So think about this. If we've really made God our top priority, and if we're motivated by love and gratitude, would we not be even more inclined to give to God first? I do believe we would. So that's the principle of priority. Let's move on to the second P, percentage. And this is where things get interesting. This is where we talk about the amount that we give. So, how do we determine this? Well, this is very similar to what I just said about the first fruits offering. Remember, back in the Old Testament, they're under the law system, and the people of Israel were instructed to give a tithe to God. And what exactly is a tithe? Well, a tithe is simply 10% of your income. That's what the word tithe means. It means 10%. So, if you give 5% to God, that's not really tithing. That's called giving 5%. Now, today, does God expect followers of Jesus to give a tithe? Well, again, not under the law anymore. We're under grace. But it goes back to that motivation of love and gratitude. If that's my motivation, well, I want to give as little as possible or as much as possible. It makes sense that I would want to follow the example of Jesus and be sacrificially generous. But I realize some of you would rather have a specific number. Like, just tell me the percentage that I'm supposed to give. Well, I'm not going to give you a legalistic requirement, but I will tell you how my family approaches this. Uh, Both Hannah and I were raised in homes where tithing was just a given. Our parents gave at least 10% of our family income back to God, and that meant uh, giving to our local church that we were a part of. Now, of course, there are lots of legitimate needs in the world. There are lots of different areas and places where you can be generous, and in my family, we we tried to be generous in lots of different places, but for us, 10% went to our local church. Now, after college, during our single years, Hannah and I were living in separate places, and we both followed our parents' example. Once we got married, we continued to follow our parents' example. And for us, the 10-10-80 plan was a good place to start. And here's how the 10-10-80 plan works. You take whatever income comes in, and then you give the first 10% to God. Then you, get, you, get, you set aside 10% for savings, and then you use the remaining 80% to live on. And I do think that, that was a good starting place for us. But I will say, uh, Hannah and I think of tithing as the floor level of giving, not the ceiling, not a, a limit. And that's where the third P comes in. Once you get to that 10% level of generosity, you just make it a goal to progress, and ask God, like, how, how can I be as generous as possible? That gets, that gets to be fun. So that's question number one. How is God calling me to be generous? And here's the second question. What is my biggest obstacle to being more generous? What's holding you back? Maybe it's your current financial situation. Maybe you feel buried under bills and debt. Or maybe something totally different. Maybe you and your spouse just aren't on the same page, or maybe you find it difficult to trust that God will take care of you if you give sacrificially, or maybe you're that bank robber and you're just not interested in being generous at all. Whatever it is, be honest, answer that question as honestly as possible, and then move on to the third and final question. How will that obstacle be removed? What's your next step? And there are several possible answers that you could have here, but I'll give you just two suggestions. And the first one is simple. Just keep building those kingdom habits that we've been talking about in this series. Keep listening to God through Scripture, and not just listen, listen and obey. And then keep praying to God, speaking to Him through prayer. Prayer. God uses these kingdom habits to shape us into the people that He wants us to be. And over time, the Holy Spirit works in us to help us be more like Jesus. And as we go through that process, we take on His qualities and characteristics. And one of those qualities would be generosity, of course. But here's another suggestion. Maybe you really want to be generous, but you're just not in a financial position where you could give more, and that's a legitimate problem. It's a problem that may take years to solve, but as a church, we want to help you remove this obstacle, and there are lots of different tools out there that can help you get your finances in order, but many people here in our church have benefited from Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. It's also called FPU, and earlier this year, we hosted FPU at our church, but if you missed out on that class, I have some really good news for you. For all of 2023, Plum Creek has a license where everyone in our church gets a free subscription to Ramsey+. Plus. Now, this is amazing because Ramsey Plus gives you free access to the whole Financial Peace University class. You can take it online whenever you want to. Uh, Ramsey Plus comes with a lot of other helpful tools. I won't get into those right now. Uh, But a one-year subscription would normally cost you $130. But I'm not kidding. This is absolutely free for you. Just scan that QR code on the screen or in your bulletin, and you can get started. Like I said, we want to help. Before we go tackle this generosity plan, I want to go back and remember why we should give to God in the first place, because you know how it works. We don't stick with any plan unless we're very clear about why it's important. There are lots of good reasons to give back to God But I'll share three things very quickly. First, giving is an act of worship. It's a way to express our love to God. It's a way to say, God, I love you more than I love my money, more than I love my stuff. At the core, this really is about worship. Here's a a second reason to give to God you will be blessed by giving. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about material blessings, although God may choose to do that. I'm talking more about the intangible ways that God will bless your generosity. For example, if you give sacrificially to the point where it's scary, you find out by experience that God will meet your needs. And that in itself is an amazing blessing. Here's one more reason I want to mention When followers of Jesus give sacrificially, God uses us to make an eternal impact. This week, I was reading about a guy named David Green, who happens to be one of the 50 richest people in the U.S. David is the founder and CEO of Hobby Lobby. As of this month, he's worth over $14 billion, and I can't even get my head around that amount of money (laughs) But Forbes magazine did a story on him because David Green really stands out when you compare him to other multi-billionaires. He stands out, A, because of his strong Christian faith, and B, because of his radical generosity. He's given almost 50% of the company's profits to Christian ministries and charities. I saw a quote from David that I, I just love. He said, Hobby Lobby is worth billions of dollars. So what? (laughs) Is that the end goal of life, making more money and building something? For me, I want to know that I have affected people for eternity, and I believe I am. I believe once someone knows Christ as their personal Savior, I've affected eternity, and what I've done matters 10 billion years from now. That's a big-picture perspective. You and I don't have the kind of money that David Green has, but it really doesn't matter. You can be dirt poor and still make an impact for eternity. All we need to do is say, God, everything I have is yours. You just tell me how to use it, how to manage it, when you want me to give it away. And then, as we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 6, you lay up treasures for The the coming age. You, You take on the life that is truly life. Last week I said something that I believe very strongly. I believe the work of the church is the most important work in the world. And as a minister, I wish that you could see what I see and hear what I hear. I get to see some amazing things. For example, um, just this week, I was on a Zoom call with one of our mission partners in India, and this brother was telling us about the trials and tribulations they're going through right now. They're being harassed by the government, and I was so impressed by his faith, saying, hey, it doesn't matter. You know, they can do whatever they want. We're going to be faithful to God. I also saw that our financial support is a lifeline to this ministry right now. Your giving makes a difference, your prayers make a difference. Then closer to home, it's been an exciting couple of months. So far in April and May, we've seen 13 people baptized into Christ. Number 14 is happening just in a few minutes, which is awesome. You know, those aren't just numbers, though. Those are people, and I get to talk with many of these people and hear their stories Hear them share about how God is transforming their lives. I had a great conversation with Casey Huntinghake earlier this week. She's the one getting baptized here in just a few minutes. Her story is phenomenal. God is doing amazing things, and your prayers make a difference, and your giving makes a difference. It's humbling to be part of what God is doing in the world. But you know what? We've only seen a fraction of what God can do When it comes to generosity, we all have room to grow. Man, I'll be the first to admit that about myself. And that's what I'm praying for today. Plum Creek has a history of being a very generous church, but I'm praying that we'll take this to a new level. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul said this to the church in Corinth. He said, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. So what would it take for us to excel in the grace of giving? I think it's time for another kingdom challenge. You know, in the month of May, our challenge was to spend at least 10 minutes alone with God, at least five days a week. But now as we move into June, we have a new challenge, something called the 30-Day Generosity Challenge. And it's really pretty simple. From June 1st to June 30th, take a step of sacrificial generosity. Maybe that means you start tithing here at church. Maybe you've never done that. Now, if that 10% number is completely overwhelming, man, a, a smaller step is still a good step. That's okay. Now, Hannah and I talked about this challenge. And for us, this is not the best time for us to increase our giving. As it turns out, as kids get older, they cost more, and I'm sure many of us could name reasons why it's difficult to be more generous right now, but sacrificial generosity is always a challenge, always. And listen, I hope you understand the church is not trying to twist anybody's arm here. That's the last thing we want to do. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. We want to give cheerfully. We want to find the joy that comes from being generous. That's one of the great blessings. We want others to experience that blessing. I've experienced that. I want to close with a quote that really resonates with me Generosity changes the heart. A generous heart changes the church, and a generous church changes the world. That's how I want to live. Let's pray. Father, you have been so, so generous with us. You've blessed us in material ways and and even more so in spiritual ways. And we thank you. Thank you so much for Jesus and that sacrificial generosity when he laid down his life on the cross. And for those of us who have accepted that gift of grace that comes through knowing Jesus and following Jesus, I pray that you'll help us to respond motivated by love and gratitude. Help us to be as generous as possible with the resources and gifts that you've entrusted to us. And Lord, we do ask for that blessing of the joy that comes from generosity. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.